You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. I'm very excited to do something a little different today. I am a big fan of the podcast called Real Good, and it's produced by U.S. Bank. It's got Faith Sally as a host, and I'm a big fan of hers. And basically, this podcast is about people doing real work that helps the world. And in this one, we're going to hear, this is a clip from their fifth season. We have Emmy Award-winning documentarian Rudy Valdez about the importance of storytelling and film, how to put together a good documentary, how to tell stories. And this is so important. And I, I love this. Go listen and subscribe to Real Good wherever you get your podcasts. This is Real Good by U.S. Bank, a podcast about helpers. When you come and you're clearly wearing your heart on your sleeve and understanding very clearly why you're there, people drop their guard and they want to be a part of that. I'm Faith Saley. Welcome back to another season of Real Good. Rudy Valdez got into filmmaking in order to find his voice and make sure voices like his were heard. 
The Emmy-winning director has tackled subjects as varied as inequity in the criminal justice system and the effect of COVID-19 on New York City's beloved performance venue, The Public Theater. His documentary on noted musician Carlos Santana is set for release later in 2023. Recently, Rudy finished the short film Translators, which documents kids helping their Spanish-speaking families navigate life in the United States. The film was completed with support from U.S. Bank and took home an award from the Tribeca Film Festival when it debuted. Our dear Greg Cunningham helped produce Translators and is so proud of Rudy's film. You can tell how much Greg appreciates the director's nuanced approach to complex topics and Rudy's ability to render them both touching and delightful. First of all, I'm so excited for today's conversation. You know, we'll get into the film, we'll talk about all that, but but the our, our guest today is is one of those people who, you know, you meet some people and you just feel like you've known them for forever. And uh, not only is he an incredibly talented artist, but he's just a funny dude. He's a funny dude. He's one of us, you know? And so this is one of those projects where I, and we're talking about the Translators film, by the way, everybody. And if you haven't seen it, you can view it at translatorsfilm.com. And um, I encourage everybody to check it out. Well, Mazel tov. And I'm so excited that you're here, Rudy Valdez, the director of Translators. No, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here as well. And for I, a second, when Greg was talking and describing, I was like, does he know it's me? That sounds bad. I don't know if, <laughs> if uh, like, is Will, is Will Ferrell here? It's the wrong episode. Like, I, I, the wrong episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Rudy. Oh, oh. Uh, Forget everything. Let's just get through it. Let's just get through it. We'll fix it in post. It's okay, guys. Let's roll with it. Um, so, so Greg, you you directed folks to translatorsfilm.com. People, you could you can hit pause right now, everybody, and go watch it. It it doesn't take long, which is yeah. kind of astonishing to me, Rudy, because I've seen the film now five times, and I'm always shocked that it's only twenty minutes. Because not that it feels long; it feels like time out of time. But when it's done, I feel like. I have been transported thoroughly into the lives of the three kids that it follows. So it follows three kids who are immigrants and they're bilingual and they're the only ones in their basically non-English speaking families who can translate everything from, you know, teachers' progress reports to financial documents to there's there's one kid, Harye, who who helps her parents talk to a doctor about the surgery her younger sister is going to get. And so so go go watch it now or go watch it after this conversation. Rudy, did you ever translate for your parents? Were your parents new Americans? No, so my my parents are uh fluent English. They were actually born my mother was born in Michigan in Ithaca, Michigan, uh because she was the daughter of migrant field workers. Uh my father uh was born in Brownsville, Texas. Um, and my grandparents are also born in America. My okay. great grandparents are also born in America. And my, my great grandmother, when I was very little, I remember her telling me, uh, never let them tell you, go back to your country. We've always been here, uh-huh. you know, and, and, you know, we're from a part of Texas, at least uh, on my mother's side over there. And I believe on my father's side that used to be Mexico and the border was pushed. And she was like, we've always been here. Never tell anyone yeah. that you're not, you don't belong here. And so I, I was never a translator in the sense that 
I had to translate language for my my parents. However, my my parents had a little Mexican grocery store in uh, in Lansing, Michigan, where I grew up, and um, it was a you know a Mexican grocery store, sort of in the hub of this little Mexican community. And so it was a real safe space for a lot of people that would come from surrounding cities and surrounding areas, especially on the weekends. You know, it was a place where you could speak Spanish, where you could find Mexican products and, and videos and music and like all these different things. And so people spoke Spanish, they spoke English, they spoke Spanglish. And it was it was just a place where people knew they could come. And um, many times people would come into the store and find usually my mother. She was pretty active in the community um, and they would say, you know, I need some help. Can you please come with me to my child's school, to the hospital, to the courthouse, to something, because I need somebody to translate. And every single time, no matter what was going on, my mom would pick me up, lock the store sometimes and, and close it and drive me with them. And I would see her translating for people at all of these places. Wow. So I witnessed the access that she was giving people countless times. And and so when this project first came, I was like, that's what hit me immediately was the, those memories of growing up and understanding that people navigate our communities, our country in different ways. And we have to understand that. And, and, and I wanted to be a part of telling that story. You, you just used the word access, which is like, I think Greg has that tattooed hey. across his chest, <laughs> right, Greg? I By do. this time, I season do. five. Yeah. Language is access. And, and yeah. when you mentioned a few minutes back, you said you're all about voice. I wrote voice down in capital letters on my, on my pink legal pad where I take notes, Rudy. And, um, and it's all the same. To, to have a voice, to be heard, to be able to form the words that other people can understand, that, that is access. Yeah. And that's at the heart of this story, right? 100%. Yeah, it, that, that's what this is. I mean... Uh, I think that this story is emblematic of a lot of things. Um, wh whenever I do a project, you know, I, I think about voice, I think about access, I think about representation, I think about what it means first and foremost for the people who are are open and honest and vulnerable and willing to let me tell their story. Like I want when they when they watch this to look back and see themselves and understand that their stories matter. And then along with that. I want them to understand that they are emblematic, not only of themselves, but of other people uh, who need to see themselves as well. I'm very conscious, especially as, you know, I shouldn't say especially as, but as a, a filmmaker of color who all I ever wanted growing up was a voice. That's, that's, that's what I wanted. It's what drives me to, um, to, to do what I do. And, you know, I was very fortunate early on that my, my parents were very supportive of all the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to be an actor and a writer and all these things. And they were like, go off, do it, figure it out, like go figure out what that means. And so when I left home to, to try and do that, I looked out into the media landscape and I said, looking for people who looked like me to see what they were doing. And I kept seeing over and over again, like, here's somebody who looked like me who is in prison. Here's somebody who looked like me who's a drug dealer. Here's somebody who looked mm -hmm. like me who was this. And, and so I started to really think like, what are my options and what are my things? And, um, I, I wanted to someday figure out a way to show that there are other versions of what it means to look like me and grow up and be a part of the fabric of this country. And so every single time I do a project, I'm very cognizant of that. I'm cognizant of not starting with a woe is me or me. Look at how brown I am. Look at how black I am. Look at how this I am. And despite that, 
I managed to do this. Like even with this film, I didn't want you to feel sorry for these kids off the bat. I wanted you to love them. I wanted you to see them first. I wanted you to understand who they were. And then we come in, we're like, this is what is happening. But look at how great they are. They're not great despite this. They're great. They're just great. You know, and so I try to do that with every project that I do. And I feel like this is another project that I've been fortunate enough to to finish and, and look at it and say, look, they are emblematic of a part of the fabric of this country, an important part. And they are wonderful. They are great. And and that's that's where it all sort of the voice and representation, all that weaves itself into all of my projects in that way. The the word that keeps coming to mind when you when you talk about your relationship with the side Greg was on, the bank side, mm-hmm. let's call it, right? And 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 the bank's relationship with you it is trust. Like you yeah. were you were fully, it sounds like you were fully entrusted with what's your vision for this. And you had to trust that the bank really meant it. Yes. <laughs> and then for your entire film to succeed, I've heard you talk about this in lots of interviews. It, it was entirely based on the trust you earned or asked for from these families. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, again, like that process of, of gaining that trust from families, from kids, from mothers, from fathers, I could only genuinely achieve knowing that I have the trust of my producers and my, because I couldn't go in and say, listen, this is the story we're telling and this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to, and this is why we're going to do it. If I didn't fully trust that, that was what the end result was going to be. You know, I, that, that was, that's always my biggest fear is like, I'm going to come in and say, this is, this is your story and we believe in your story and we're going to do that. And then I turn it around and they're like, well, we're actually going to shift your story and make it something else. Like I, so I had to have that in me to, be honest and, and open with them about what this was. And so it's a, it's a chain reaction of like all of these relationships that have to basically stand on each other's shoulders and hold, you know, be hand in hand throughout this entire process, because I couldn't have done that without the trust that I felt early on in this process. Faith, we've got to stay with that because, you know, everything about this project is built on trust. And it was, you know, as Rudy talked about the why why we were doing the film, et cetera. The only currency a bank has or any business or any of us has is trust. There is no such thing as a healthy relationship that doesn't have trust at its core. It's just not possible. I don't care what kind of relationship you're talking about, a personal relationship or a professional relationship. Without trust, that relationship is not healthy, I can assure you. For us, as we are you know, seeking to create greater access for the Hispanic community and everyone, this notion of trust is why we wanted to tell this story because we wanted people in the community. And oh, by the way, the reason we got to this notion of trust being so critical is because we decided to listen and learn from members of the community who told us that language was a barrier. And we listened to our employees and bankers who were interacting with these families who were telling us these stories of these new American families who, for them, language actually was access. And so we didn't want to do a commercial. That was the wor- That was the last thing we were looking to do, was to produce a commercial that was highlighting U.S. Bank. That's what everybody else would do. 
we actually wanted to tell their story from their perspective because this notion of trust is the only currency we have. I just want to um, pause for a moment on the phrase new American families because it's so much more true and respectful than immigrant even, right? There's nothing There's nothing negative, inherently negative about being an immigrant family, but there's no. something so lovely to hear immigrants called new Americans. I really, I really liked hearing you just say that. I, I think it just, it's very intentional for me because I, I want everybody to know this is an American story. This is America. This is a human story. It's an American story. And these families are just as American as every single one of us. Um, and that's the point um, is this is who we are. And so everybody should see themselves in this story. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free 
at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I kind of want to go way back with each of you and just find out, was was there a film in your lives as a young person that you saw that moved you and and convinced you that this kind of storytelling could be meaningful? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, again, I was always somebody, even as a, as a young kid who wanted to tell stories and wanted to be a part of that landscape and, and wanted a voice so badly. And you know, I loved things like The Wonder Years and I love things like Stand By Me and I love, you know, so many of these films that people are, are, are goonies, you know, that are pillars in, 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 you know, the coming of age stories. But what I, I noticed at a very young age is there's nobody who looks like me in any of these. And that was very apparent to me. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very frustrating to me as a young kid, especially as I started to become an actor and, and a writer. And I really wanted to go out into the world and you know, talk about a full circle moment. You know, when I, I had a friend send me this V or give me this VHS tape, which was a bootleg uh, recording of uh, a one man show called freak by John Leguizamo. And um, I remember watching that and being in just absolute awe of what was happening on that stage. Here was somebody who looked like me, who was commanding the stage, who was entertaining in, 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 had everyone at, at, in the palm of his hand with his story, with his narrative and controlling his narrative. And that was one of the final straws in my life that was like, I didn't watch that and think, oh, I can do that. Like, I never thought that. But I watched it and I said, I know it's possible now. I know that that can happen. And so I dropped out of college and I left. I was like, I'm going to New York and I'm going to figure out how to have a voice and how to do some of these things. And that changed me. It truly changed something in me to say, you know, and and that's why these stories uh, that are emblematic of larger stories are, are important because sometimes we can only sort of see what's in front of us because of the path that has been blazed, you know, and sometimes we are part of blazing that path and we're started part of creating that path. But, I think there has to be a little bit of, of, of visual 
or, 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 or direction in that understanding that we can go in that direction now. And so that, and then, you know, as some of you know, John Leguizamo was at our screening in LA yes. and he was there supporting it. He's supporting oh, this gosh. film. Amazing. So, yeah. Did it, you get it, a chance it, to tell him what his, what his work meant I, to you? I, I told him an abbreviated version of that and he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I literally dropped out of college and went to New York because I, you showed me it's possible to have a voice. And so, yeah. God, Rudy, can you imagine if you hadn't dropped out of college where you'd be now? I have no you're doing, idea. You're doing okay. You're doing okay, though. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Rudy, when you decided you wanted to become a filmmaker, what what were the biggest challenges for you? Uh, learning to become a filmmaker. You know, I, I became a filmmaker um, out of absolute necessity. You know, I, I was an actor. I had just written a show I was traveling the country with. I was a kindergarten teacher. I was a, a basketball coach. I was all these things. I just signed with the with an acting manager and um, my sister was sentenced to a first year, uh, a 15 year prison sentence for a first time nonviolent offense. And I remember sitting in that courtroom, standing up as they took her away and thinking, who's gonna say something? This is wrong. Like what is going on? Why isn't anybody speaking up? And I didn't know, like my answer wasn't, I'm gonna make a film, but I, uh, I remember feeling so hopeless and without a voice in that moment. And so the next day I instinctively just picked up a camera and started filming with their daughters because I said, oh I'm going to fight gosh. for my sister and I'm going to figure out how to get her out again, not thinking, Oh, I'm going to make a film about it. But I was like, I'm going to film these moments with her daughters because one day she's going to watch them and be able to see them laugh and play. And so I was living in New York at the time, a struggling actor, like doing all these things. And I, and I remember her oldest daughter was having her first dance recital, something that my sister really badly wanted to be at, but she was in prison and so I had, you know, I remember the plane ticket was like $310 to go back to Michigan. I had like $370 in my bank account. Um, but I bought a ticket and I went back and I was sitting there filming with her oldest daughter as she was getting ready and completely organically, my sister calls. And, um, and I wasn't sure, should I keep recording or should I not? But I kept recording. And my sister says something to my niece and she says, do you know what mommy's going to do while you go to dance? I'm going to lay down in my bed. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to think about you. And it wow. was in that second. Wow. I understood. I have a chance here to tell a story that you never get to hear the story of the kids left behind of the families left behind of the communities left behind. And so I went back after that, back to New York. I told my principal, I wasn't coming back the next year. I told my acting manager that I wasn't acting anymore. I quit everything and I started as an unpaid intern uh, on with a film company. And for nine and a half years, I made this film about my sister kind of in secret on my own while I went from an intern to a PA, to a sound mixer, to an editor, to a producer, to an additional photographer, to a cinematographer, shooting films for all of these wonderful filmmakers, all self-taught all figuring it out as I went because I knew that nobody was going to help me on my film. I had to figure out how to do all of those things. And then in the end, we, I was able to get funding because something happens in my sister's story. And I get into Sundance. We win the audience award at Sundance. We get picked up for HBO. I end up winning the primetime Emmy for it. And the hardest thing about all of that was way back at the beginning 
understanding that I could do it and believing in myself and believing in voice. And my belief in voice propelled me to fight for 10 years to figure out how to do that. So the hardest part about all of it was believing in myself. And we should let people know that the name of that film is The Sentence. And and you can go see it, right? It's on HBO, yeah. I love that the arc of your journey as a filmmaker, telling the stories that need to be told, is one that went from frustration and came out of impotence, right? What can what can I do? And has ended with joy. Well, not ended. You are you are on a journey, my friend. But am I done? But, am I done? No, no, films? you are not. <laughs> but tra- translators, on the real good podcast, Rudy. <laughs> we're here to tell you. Talk about a mic drop. Um, um, but but you are you have now arrived at joy and inspiration. And what is next? What what's next? So I uh, I just finished the documentary about Carlos Santana called Carlos that uh, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival as well. It'll have a theatrical uh, release later in the year. And I just finished a six-part series for Disney that I shot and directed that will also be coming out later this year. Um, I just signed a deal with Imagine Entertainment. They've come on to partner with me and my new production company. Uh, I've written a, a... scripted series that you know was purchased and you know we're working on developing that i just wrote a feature film that we're getting financing for i just started two other documentaries and and i'm pushing forward i'm just trying to to sort of take advantage of 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 the luck and 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 the opportunities that have been put in front of me so i'm gonna hopefully keep pushing ah rudy luck what is that where preparation meets opportunity my friend greg you know how to pick them do you need an intern, Rudy? Because Greg's got some free time. I do, Greg. I do. Greg, send me your resume, and we'll you know we'll talk. I think you need it. me on set. You just need me on set, like just <laughs> because. In, you want to be in front of the camera, don't you, Greg? No, I. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they call me G Diddy. G Diddy, Rudy. Who I am? Well, I'm all we'll up in the video. We'll, all up we'll in the send. video. <laughs> <laughs> I just love great storytellers because one of the things that struck me about the translators film, you know, if you, if you look at the, the, the bookend of the beginning and the end, you are reminded that these are children. The very first scene in, in the film is Denzel playing with, you know, some sort the of marble game, run, the yeah. marble run. And at the very end, end of it, the last thing you hear is the sound of a child, uh, a child's laughter. And so you're constantly reminded that these are children. Like this is our, future and everything and about these it children are joyful they're joyful and it's optimistic it's all about potential and the arc of it is is in joy and, and optimism and look how beautiful and wonderful and talented and responsible uh these kids are and, and, and i want to add in grateful that there's also grateful. so much gratitude from the kids yes. towards their parents for bringing them to america and then yes. for the parents towards their kids for being their voice. And and, and a little bit of, uh, and, and I've said this a couple of times, my my favorite scene in the movie is actually the scene where uh, uh, Hardy is, is trying to uh, translate um, for her parents and she starts to wave her hand. I'm waving like folks listening to podcasts can see me, they can't see me. But there's a scene where she's waving out of the sheer weight of the responsibility she feels that she's actually translating something really important and she's frustrated that she can't find the words and 
it's this 13-year-old child who is actually feeling the weight of the responsibility she carries. And how many of us at 13 or how many of our kids at 13 had that kind of responsibility? And when you realize the burden that these kids are shouldering, they don't see it as a burden. They see it as just being part of this family and the role that they have to play and they welcome it. Um, Their concern is more about how they're going to continue to fulfill that obligation while also pursuing their dreams. And my hope for all of us is that we don't force these kids to have to make a choice, um, that they can actually fulfill their dreams and continue to serve the family and their community in the way that they want to. Um, So you're, you're right, Faith, it is joyful and they're grateful, but this burden that they shoulder is one that I hope, you know, we all can in some ways help lift off of their shoulders. Rudy, I want to thank you because though that moment that Greg just described, um, in particular that gesture of Harye, where she's she's sort of yes, waving waving with the weight of of her responsibility. Um, I made it a point to watch translators with both of my kids separately. So I have an eleven year old son and a nine year old daughter, and they've never experienced anything like what they saw these kids in in the movie experience and they were enwrapped they they literally both leaned in while watching and and they both had slightly different responses but my son who's older when it was done I said what do you think he said wow a lot of times I think about how being the oldest I sometimes you expect more from me and you know I go feels like he goes to a competitive school and the the rigorous academics and the expectations of the community. And he said, when I, when I think about what I feel like is pressure, and then I look at these kids and what they're doing for their families. And, and there's a scene that always moves me, which is when Denzel, he's 11, his mom um, shows up at a parent teacher conference. And so, I mean, as a parent, we, we three are parents you already know when you go into a parent teacher conference, there are expectations and and you want to have a really open conversation about your child. You usually don't want your child there, right? And sometimes you get news that might be a little challenging to absorb. Sometimes you get amazing praise for your child. But there's Denzel translating everything his teachers are saying about him to his mother. And the pressure in that situation and at the end, this is the part that always chokes me up, is when Denzel gets to quote his teacher. She says, what she appreciates about me is that I never give up. I always keep going. And for an 11-year-old kid to be able to translate that, to say to his mom, who like risked everything to get her kids to this country, it makes me emotional every time. Yeah, I mean, that was, um, you know, there there are moments when when you're filming, you know, because I'm also, I, I physically hold the camera. I'm also the cinematographer. So I'm, I'm oftentimes in there in the scene, uh, in the room doing those things. And there are times when you're filming and you're like, that's going to be in the film, you know, not knowing what we haven't even started the edit. We haven't done anything, but you, you, there are moments that become pillars. There are moments that you start to build around. And that was one of them. And it was, it was part of that documentary magic as well, because that was the first thing I filmed with Denzel. That was, oh we gosh. had just met him. We had talked to them on the phone. We had done some zooms and we'd gotten to know him a little bit, but um, 
when when you, that part when the kids run up and kiss and kiss their mom and like that at was at the end of a school day. Yeah, that yeah. was. Yeah. I had just walked in with the camera. Then that was Denzel seeing us for the first time, and wow. he was just like, "Okay, I'm gonna go about my my day, and I'm gonna do what I normally do." And so I was like, there, I, I was unsure. I was like, I don't know how nervous he's going to be. And he just, you know, he, he had said to my producer, like, what do I, what am I supposed to do? And <laughs> sh- she goes, just be yourself, Denzel. And he goes, okay. And he just, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that and I can do. <laughs> yeah. And those moments of honesty and vulnerability and, and, and I'm, you know, again, we're a small crew. It's like me and a sound person and a producer sitting outside. Um, but I'm, you know, moving with the camera. I'm like going around. I'm getting the different shots and everything and just unfazed. He's there doing what he's supposed to do. And I just remember saying like, this kid's really special. This kid has it and he's, he's amazing. You know, after that was that, that scene in particular was like 30 minutes after after showing up with the camera, we literally walked over to that, to that thing. And he's just great. And he's so honest. He's, he's such a beautiful kid. That was an amazing moment to be able to film. So I'm glad that it, it translated, no pun intended, uh, to the audience, uh, that, that, because that's what it felt like in the room. That's the beauty of this film is that it was made to give voice to a community, but it, speaks to every I'm watching it as as a white mom right and it's shaking me out of things I didn't realize I could take for granted and I'm just relating to Denzel's mom I'm just relating to her because I've been in a teacher conference there are so many points of resonance for absolutely everyone and I think that is a huge part of its beauty yeah yeah sorry go ahead and and how different um their experience is not better or worse, but how different their experience is when you bring into the equation the element of language and the ability to communicate. And I thought it was really interesting in that very same scene where the teacher talks about um, how Denzel's um, uh, his best subject is math because there's not the language barrier. And so the mm-hmm. the talent and his ability and his capacity and capability is very clear. I mean, it's obvious that he's a very kind and uh, just wonderful child, as Rudy said. But when you think about the work and why this story is so important, it's how do we make sure um, that things like the ability to communicate in language don't hold back and diminish the potential of these kids and these families. And that's so much of what this is about. It's so much of what we as a bank are doing to make sure we've got the tools and resources like a a Spanish language voice assistant in our mobile app, all these things that allow um, these families to reach their full potential because that is our purpose as a bank is to help individuals and families reach their full potential. And when we learn about things that are a potential barrier to that, we have to do everything we can to remove them. Um, and so I love that, that, that scene that both of you are referencing. And I thought it was really um, an important moment uh, where the teacher talks about um, Denzel's strongest subject being math. Um, and it was just such a, it, to me, it brought to life. It, there was not a better example of languages access than that moment for me. 
Rudy, you were going to say something off of when when I was talking about points of points of entry and points of resonance. Was there something you wanted to add? I interrupt. I interrupted him. No, that's okay. I do that with all of our guests. It's a rite of passage, Rudy. It was probably something super brilliant that I was going to say, but Greg uh, <laughs> kind of stepped on that and and ruined it. But I, I guarantee it was very brilliant. <laughs> It, I don't remember pop, what I was going to say. It'll pop back into your head. You it'll know, come back. Rudy, Greg and I have been um uh, have been on this journey for quite a while and and I keep adding to this list of what access is, right? Greg, so we've talked about access is health, access is housing, access is education, access is someone mentoring you, access is a, a literal investment and and now or financial literacy. And, and and this is huge. This has been hiding in plain sight. Access is language. Just goes yeah. down on the list. Absolutely. Very high yeah. on that list too. It reminds me of the, maybe not surprises, but realizations that came to me as I was watching translators. So one very specific one is Virginia's father says, learning English is my duty. However, as an adult, I have limited time for studying. And it made me realize that I've often sort of blithely thought, well, if we if we picked up and moved to Italy for a year, I'd just learn Italian. And, and, and I think I have had passing thoughts. Like, why do these kids have to speak for their parents? Like, aren't their parents doing Duolingo, you know, on their way to work, right? <laughs> it's, it's not, it's it, that, that, that kind of, um, question comes from privilege comes from comes from my privilege to think that they have time while taking care of their children while doing whatever work they're doing to learn another language it it takes it takes time and so i both respected virginia's father for saying it's my duty and that he wants to and for and for explaining that he doesn't have the time so that was just one of those moments in the film where i checked my the the things that I take for granted. No, yeah, I think that that's you know, it's so true. And, and one of the f- interesting things when I was filming uh, Adi's dance recital, uh, I was trying to find a spot like up front to to be able to get those shots that you see. And right before the dance recital started, I went up to the people who were sitting in the front and I said. Hey, I, I was. I'm wondering if, when the, this recital starts at this section, if I could just come and sneak and sit on the ground in front of you for a second. And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, it's totally fine. It's it's great." And then they were like, "What are you filming, by the way? Is this for the recital?" I was like, "No, I'm actually doing a documentary, and one of the um, people I'm following is is part of the dancer." And they're like, "Oh, who?" And I said, "Adi," and they were like, "Oh, she's in uh, in our uh, daughter's class, or in our daughter's whatever. Like they knew her." And they said, why are you following her? And I said, well, I'm doing a story about kids who uh, translate for their parents because they're first generation and their parents don't speak English. And one of the women says, why don't they just learn? And I said, well, it's not so easy. You know, the the parents come to this country, they're newer to this country. They have to take the jobs that they can get, which often aren't really... um, you don't have a lot of choices when you don't speak English. So you take what you can sort of get. And, and oftentimes in order, to, those aren't high paying jobs. So you're having to work a lot of hours. You have children, you have a lot of responsibilities. I was like, so after working a 10 hour day, a 12 hour day and taking care of your kids, 
you, you don't always have two hours to then dedicate to learning English. I said, so it's tough. And I was like, and not to mention, even if you have the time, it's tough for people yeah. over a certain age to just learn another language. And I said, I think they're really <laughs> yeah. trying and they want to do that, but it's, it's difficult. So in the meantime, their children act as translators for them. Their children help them navigate the world. And they were like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I'm very sorry. I was like, I didn't mean yeah. to be, uh, but I was a little frustrated that they were just like, why don't they just learn English? It's <laughs> like, okay. All right. But it's that's a little where this, more that's right. And but, that's where yeah. this film does the show not tell, right? Because I think a lot exactly. of people have, w- with no ill intentions, have had those thoughts. And now, now we see it. It shows us why. And, and, and Virginia's family cleans to get, cleans together. That's one of the ways that her parents support the family is that they do uh, custodial janitorial stuff, right? After businesses close. And and Greg and Rudy, when we had a panel at Tribeca, you remember I asked Virginia what her, uh, and, and by the way, Virginia's mom had been working really hard on her English. She showed up and was yeah. on the panel and more than held she her sure own. Did. She was amazing. Sure and I she said, sure I said, Virginia in the film mentions that her parents have degrees. They went to, they went to university in Venezuela. Is that where they're from, Rudy? In Venezuela. And I said, um, Virginia, what, what are your parents' degrees in? And I'll, I'll toss it over to you, Rudy. Do you remember what she told us? Uh, so her father was actually a, a horse trainer for a very long time, but like a, like a very, like, uh, what, what, I don't know, the, uh, I don't know the high elite. end is the word, but like esteemed elite. elite horse trainer. So he had like a, a substantial job. I believe her mother worked in like she's counting or something like that. Oh, I thought she said uh, she was she, a teacher. You know, had degrees. Maybe she was a teacher. I forget, like maybe a math teacher or something, but they both had degrees and they had wonderful careers. It was just not uh, uh, safe for them to stay. So they moved over. But those those careers and those um, uh, the work they've done doesn't, again, no pun intended, doesn't translate to, 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 oh, to coming over here and just saying, well, I'm just going to do that here. Um, because it's just, that's not the way it works. And so I think the the misconception a lot of times is, you know, immigrants coming over here are, you know, uneducated, you know, unmotivated yeah. on all of these other things, or they're, or they're being called other things that they're certainly not. And it, I think a lot of times it couldn't be farther from the truth. I think they're very educated. They're, they're highly intelligent. A lot, and, and it's just, it's difficult to be dropped into a country that you don't speak the primary language that is there and and you're expected to just navigate and and you know do all the same things but it's not easy and as we see in this it's doable and the and these families are doing it and they're standing up and they're doing they're doing everything they can but you know we have to have a little empathy and compassion and, and understanding that that this isn't a detriment this isn't a bad thing it is a wonderful part of the tapestry of this unfinished country and you know that that's what I really wanted to to show in the in this film that it's not it's not a bad thing to still be learning. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway. 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. That was a mic drop. That's a mic drop moment. I wish I had a mic. I wish that I had a mic. Here, well, Faith I'll just bang on We usually mine. use the word church. We usually use the word church. You take him to church, Rudy. Take him to church. Take him to church. Church. Take him to church. That's how Greg has translated for me. I used to say church. Like 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 a white lady. But now I say church. And Grace, you know, the other thing... We need is grace and one of my other favorite. I have lots of favorite scenes. Clearly, keep going. But the DMV and, and then Rudy, you'd be thinking of yours, by the way. Okay, go ahead. The Greg. DMV, the DMV scene is another one. Um, where so Hottie we should explain. Her, yeah, where Hottie and her family are going to the DMV um, to get their uh, identification, driver's licenses, and they want Hottie to also get a, an, an ID. And the guy at the DMV, when they sit down. One of the first questions he asks um, is is for their immigration papers. He asks for that, and then he says, "Okay, so who wants to go first? And he's just such a pleasant um, gentleman in how he approaches them with such respect and grace and compassion, and he's very and patient humor. and humorous, and he's patient and clearly, you know, all, all of that. Um, is so important because these people who ask the question, well, why don't they don't learn? Why don't they just learn? Um, would never put that same kind of expectation on themselves when they, uh, most of those people only speak English. <laughs> and, you know, that's sort of the American way. Like we don't need to learn another language. And when you travel abroad, I don't need to speak the language. And, you know, we, we set these expectations on others that we don't set on ourselves and we don't, provide the necessary grace so that everyone can live and thrive in this system that is built to create and help everyone sort of fulfill their destiny. And that scene for me was such a pivotal moment in the way that that gentleman at the DMV just sort of treated them with such respect. I just, the word grace just popped in my head Mm. immediately. And I think after seeing this film, people will understand why that is so important. Rudy, what was it like to approach people like the DMV guy uh, or Denzel's teachers who were not originally enrolled in the project the same way the families were? Yeah, again, I think that um, our approach as a team and and when you're able to honestly say, this is why we're doing this. And when you when you talk to somebody, especially like the the people at the school, the teachers, uh, the gentleman at the DMV, and you say, this is what we're trying to do. And they immediately respond and understand, oh, I've experienced that. I've been on this side of this before, and this is important. 
everyone, that's what everybody said when, when we brought that, they're like, yes, a hundred percent, because it's an important part of how we live our lives as well. And it's important. And I want to be a part of that. When, when you come to them and you say things that, you know, and, and you frame it in the way that is like, this is important because this is how people navigate the world. This is how people navigate the world in front of you. And we're not saying you're doing anything wrong. You're doing the best you can. And we want to see you do the best you can as well. You know, we're not here to make a salacious takedown of anybody. We're here to give this slice of life of the reality of how some people navigate the world. And people are like, let's do it. You know, let's, let's go, let's, let's do yeah. this. And, you know, it often only took that little bit of, of convincing on the hu- on the human side, you know, the paperwork of like filming within a government building is a little bit different, but, but it helped, but it all helps uh, that process when, when people are saying, no, we believe in what this is and why we're doing this. And, and to me, it's, it's always about starting with humanity at every level of the process of telling a story or making a film. It starts with humanity. It ends with humanity. And when you have that running through barriers fall down, walls fall down, stories open up, people open up and they understand, especially in the current media landscape that we're in right now, where so many things are, you know, salacious and, you know, trying to, you know, gotcha, you know, gotcha cinema and all these things. It's like when you come and you're clearly wearing your heart on your sleeve and understanding very clearly why you're there, people drop their guard and they want to be a part of that. So, um, yeah, that's that, that, that was our approach. And that's why I think we were able to do that again, not just because of me, because of everybody involved from top to bottom. I couldn't go to that person at the DMV again, going back to, you know, and here's what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. If I didn't truly believe at the beginning that that's what started this. And then that's what brought the team on. And then that's what brought us to that area. And that's what made me put my camera on my shoulder. And that's what made me talk, you know, all of that bleeds through onto the next thing. It was surprisingly worked really well and, and pretty quickly to navigate those, those situations. Hey, Cause don't you feel in, in some respects that that like people are craving these stories that are authentically human and non-divisive i just feel like there's such an appetite for stories that don't force us to to yell at each other or to right. stand on opposing sides yeah, there's no side to choose that's right there's no side to choose here the, the only side to choose is these kids and their families and, and that's on purpose greg like that's yeah so, so i you know i i know i'm sure i wasn't the only person who um was considered to make this and I don't know who else was considered, but, but I know that, and I'm not saying other people would have done this, but like, I know that in different hands, in different, in a different set of circumstances, a story like this could have been approached from a highly political um, lens because it, it can be a very polarizing topic depending on how you come into it. And the first thing I do with every project that I'm on, especially that has a headline, uh, I push that headline aside, aside and I say, what is the, the humanity of it? If, if you come into this film and you believe very strongly whatever side you're on about immigrant families, about language, about what that means in this country, I want you to first meet the people, meet the kids, understand the situation as a human on a human level, and then 
think about your political ide- ideology post that and, right. and try to try to rationalize that within yourself. Because if you can't look at Denzel and see how hard he's trying and what he's doing and how and what he is emblematic of, of give us your poor, give us your hunger, give us your will. And, mm. you know, it, it, that that is what this is. If you can't look at that and and see him and meet him and then say, well, I just don't think he should be here, then yeah. that's that's your that's a completely other thing. You know, and and you have to do something else about that. But we need to understand that there is no other. We have to stop otherizing otherized communities, that they are our community, that they are our children, they are our community members. These all take place within 20 miles of each other, but these same situations are happening in every single community across our country. You cannot go to a single community across our country and not have this happen. And that is a wonderful thing. That is what makes this place a beautiful place these moments and and i want people to understand that when they watch this and anything that i do that it's about the people humanity of it and then we can figure out the other stuff rudy what part of creating this film surprised you i I mean i think we sort of talked about it earlier in the sense that how great these kids were how great these families were because that's you know, I've been very fortunate to, in, in, in the films that I've been able to make, to find, especially kids, kids can be very tricky on camera um, for all the same reasons adults are tricky on camera. You know, like it's, you, you never know what's happening. You never know what's going And for us to find these families and them just be so comfortable and so amazing and so... It, I shouldn't say it surprised me, but I was I was I was happily surprised yeah. <laughs> at how great they were on camera. That that there wasn't ever a moment where I was like, "Ugh, we're gonna have to find another family." Like there was never that was never that sort of thing. It, it just it it surprised me that once we found these kids, how great it went. Yeah, you know, there was nothing performative. Like two days, really, nothing performative. There was never. Yeah, it was a short short shoot in the grand scheme of things. And I just want to say, great. I'm so glad you were there the day that, that Tenzel's parents got the report from his little brother saying his little brother had poked no, another well, kid in the eye. Classic. That, that, that well, gets a laugh saying, at every screening, I'm sure. It really does. <laughs> when you were saying, when you were, when you were asking me to think about my favorite scene, the, so I think of, I think of projects as a whole and I think that what makes what, what I try to infuse in every single project again is humanity. And I think the thing that is a is a marker for humanity for me is always humor. I think that if you're able to find mm-hmm. these moments of levity, you're able to understand. I think levity grounds us. It, it's something that we can all relate to if we can all chuckle about it. And I think that there are these bleeding moments throughout the film where you see a smile, where you see a chuckle, where you see these like these very open, comfortable moments. And and those are all my favorite moments. But when Denzel has to basically say, "Well, he's poking another kid in the eye," and and we almost shot it on, we almost did it uncut because he's saying that, and I'm like, I moved the can camera over. over to his brother, and his brother's like, "Yeah, his uh, brother's <laughs> like his brother's yeah, preposterously yeah, impish and cute." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Brother has no <laughs> shame. Right, and, he just yeah. holds up his candy towards the camera. Right. He's like, yeah. and, I, and I do it again. 
and I do it again. He's like, and I'm going to do it tomorrow. So, <laughs> but, but I also, love that. I love moment. And when I, when I think about how... Why are you how, snitching, Denzel? Why are you snitching? Yeah. He's like, I'm going to poke your eye out. <laughs> thought you had my back. I thought you had my back. <laughs> there's there's also a moment where Harye is, 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 is... They're having dinner, and I think she just sway, at the table swigs out of a Pedialyte bottle. And I'm like, namaste, sister. That's like me walking up. If you followed me around, Rudy, you would find me going to the fridge and squirting fat-free Ready Whip straight into my mouth. I was like, this man is embedded in this family. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what I'm saying. She was so sick. She was drinking Pedialyte. And we were like, okay, you need to take a nap. She's like, I'm going to go take a nap. I was like, okay, we're going to get out of here. We're going we're gonna to go for a little. But they were, yeah, they, they I was... It was unbelievable how open they were, and how every, there was there was never, and and this is always I think a, 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 a I, I again hopefully I can say this without ego without ego but like I feel like my superpower is I have a trusting face, and um, and the, through humor and through the ease of of the people that I choose to work with my entire team, we come in and we really disarm people right away because the, I, I feel like we all come in for the sake of we're here for you. And we understand that this, we're never like, could you maybe say this or could you walk over here? And like, we really need you to say this. It's like, just be you. And, 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 and I'll never forget when we were doing the, this is the line I haven't, I didn't just use with Virginia, but I, I first used it on my, uh, I shouldn't say used it, but said it to my nieces when, when I made my first film, but they're like, what do I say when people, ask me questions like what if i say the wrong answer and and i said to virginia like that there is no wrong answer there's there's nobody out there that is a better expert on you and your life than you i was like if you're being open if you're being honest if you're telling your truth there is no wrong answer and you see shoulders go down and you see it's like Mm -hmm. you're the expert nobody nobody can go to school and get a graduate degree on what it means to live in your shoes you own that. That is you. And as soon as you empower people with the idea that their story matters and nobody knows it better than them, I tell them, I'm I'm a director who isn't here to say, I'm going to tell you what your story is and I'm going to direct this story about you. I'm a gatherer. I'm here to gather all of these honest moments of you and I'm going to put them together in a way that is true to what I experienced in the room and what I experienced with you. But you're the director of this film. You're telling your story. You control your narrative, and that—that's—that's that's just like part of all of this entire thing with 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 the kids and and how lucky we were with all of them and with Denzel and with Virginia and with Adi. It's like going in and doing that is is is, is what made this magic, and it's truly them. It's always them. You know, and and speaking of the kids, I I really have to share a moment as I had the pleasure of meeting Virginia in New York and, and Hardy in, in Los Angeles. And you could just see the experience of having them come to these major cities to a film premiere red starring carpet. them. The impact that it had, a red carpet photos, the impact that it had on them. And I, there was a moment in Los Angeles where Hardy walked into what we would consider the green room, if you will. And I was standing in there and she said, would you take a picture with me? And, and I was like, of course, Hardy, like, like, take, like, let's take the picture. And we did a selfie and, and she said, I, I want to be a star. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hardy, you already are. Like you already yeah. are. Like yeah. every day you need to look in the mirror and say you're a star and feel like you're a star. And I think this experience that we created and Rudy, that you and your team and Park Productions and everybody created for these kids and their families is going to be life-changing. I think these kids will see themselves differently. I think their families will see themselves differently. And I mean that in a really, really good way. And hopefully people who see this film will also see themselves differently. And kids um, like the three kids highlighted and featured and starring in this film um, will also see themselves differently. And I'm personally inspired. I could tell that they were inspired just watching Virginia and her mom go through this experience. And Virginia said to me in New York, she said, I'm really nervous. Um, right before she and her mom are going to do some media or we were going to take some pictures. And I leaned over to her and I said, Virginia, so am I. Mm. Like, we're going to be okay. Like, it's going to be okay. We'll get through it together. I'm nervous too. Um, So we're going to get through it together. And you could just tell she's like, really? And I was like, yeah, but we're going to be okay. And she just, again, her shoulders um, uh, slumped and she relaxed. And these amazing kids are going to be such incredible contributors to a better society for us. And I, you know, the bank is, is so proud of this partnership with, with Rudy and, and his team um, who produced this film. And it's one of those projects that is just going to, as we continue to evolve access commitment um, uh, starting here in August, as we continue to do the work to create greater access to help close wealth disparities um, in, in communities um, this is one of those signature moments, and we're going to continue to support this film and continue to tell stories that really inspire and uplift not only the the, the current generation, but the next generation as well. So, I feel like uh, the idea of someone being a star can be fleeting. And I feel like, I, I'm glad yeah. Harrier felt like a star, but I, I think th- that you show them as heroes, right? Heroes, heroes totally. are for the ages, Rudy, yes. you know? And, 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 and That's you- good. Yeah, you can see that that's how they feel. I, I remember asking Virginia, what did you feel like when you got to the end of this film, watching it for the first time? And she said, she said, I, I couldn't believe there were so many other kids like me. And that's important because, you know, I think that it can feel very isolating sometimes. You know, like I think that, my, you know, my first film, what was happening uh, in my family and the reason I made that part of the reason I made it was because I felt like I was on an island, like I was all by myself. And I was like, I need to tell the story. And one of the um, amazing things that I think helped shape that film was as I started doing research and I started like working towards that, I started to realize that what was happening in my family wasn't this singular thing that it was happening to thousands and thousands of other people. And it allowed me to truly understand that my film didn't have to be this like one in a million story, that it can be emblematic of, of a lot of people's stories. And it shapes how I, how I tell stories to this day. And the same with this, you know, I, I think that what is wonderful about this is that you have three kids on very different parts of their journey of being a translator for their family. Denzel's on the younger side, you know, Adi is in, in, in her like beginning teenage years and Virginia is sort of, figuring out what her next step in life is going to be as she becomes a young adult and, and and all those things. And so um, I think what's important and what we're seeing so much at these screenings and these events that we're having 
is exactly what what um, Adi, or what Virginia was mentioning is that so many people are seeing themselves sometimes for the first time on camera a, a story that is emblematic of them and it's positive and it's beautiful and it's hopeful it's not a burden it's not this these terrible things that they're able to be proud of who they are of the hero that they have been for their family and i mean lines after the screenings of people just coming up and saying thank you thank you for sharing this story i don't feel alone anymore and that's success that's that's why we make these films and that's why we do this um so it's it's been unbelievable to see that response and to see you know just people say i i, I see myself and i'm not alone it's been unbelievable Virginia talks about how she, when she graduates from high school she, and she's painting this beautiful mural, as as we hear her say this, she talks about how she plans to stay close to her parents because she thinks mm-hmm. they will need her. And that was another moment where I realized uh, so many of us are are raising our children to launch. And, um, and it, it, it is, or, or I think, oh gosh, when my kids go away, I'm going to follow them. I'll miss them too much. And, and it was, it was so beautiful to hear her talk about her her wanting to stay with family and her responsibility keeping her tethered in in a way that she chooses we've talked so much today about voice and i want to thank you both for creating this incredible story because people need to have voices and voices need to be heard and and what i have gotten to do is is listen and and learn. I uh, as audience to this film, I don't need to speak up. I need I need to listen, and I've learned so much by watching these stories. Um, Rudy, congratulations. Greg, good job. What's your next film? <laughs> yeah, what to get? Yeah, Greg, what are you gonna do next? <laughs> Impress me. <laughs> yeah. What's what's next? What's what are you gonna do that's better than this? <laughs> I'm calling Guillermo right now. And we're gonna work on something with special effects. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> it's fun. We're gonna continue access commitment though, and it's Rudy. It's been such a pleasure, and I know we'll continue on this journey and the expansion of access and the work that we're doing. Um, not only to close the the wealth um, disparities in this country, but to close the trust gap, as we've already talked about, is such an important part of what we do. So thank you for your partnership and and for creating such a wonderful, wonderful film. No, thank you for trusting me, truly, for, for, for letting me go out and tell a story and, and um, trusting my process. You know, I know that it wasn't always super easy <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, I just sort of go behind... I, I dive into my production hole and I'm like, all right, I'll be back in a little while and I'm going to show you what I'm working on. But but thank you for, for trusting that process and, and being such a champion for this. You both have work to do together. So so we're, <laughs> we are going to wrap this up. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Rudy, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the beautiful work you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Good. If you like what you heard, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 